This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 299, recorded on Monday, December the 12th, 2016. I feel like we're on sale for two ninety nine. <laughs> two ninety nine today only. <laughs> today only. That's absolutely true. <laughs> tomorrow going up to three hundred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, tomorrow, next week, later this week, three hundred. That is a big, big number. There's not too many podcasts out there, Jason, that get to three hundred episodes. There can't be. Well, yeah, it's because of the willpower that we have to follow through with the crazy idea we had a number of years ago. Yeah. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of podcasts start with like lofty ideals and it's like, yeah, we're going to go forever. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> but you and I have the fortuitedness to actually stick to our guns and slog through this bullshit day after day, year after year, and uh, enjoy the uh, said bullshit. But it, it's really it's not It's a that, lot of fun. It's really not that bad. Yeah. In fact, it's not bad <laughs> at all. Uh, and, and we have this thing that just keeps going and going and going that we talk about. And uh, it's this TV show that's that's so good sometimes and so bad sometimes, but yet it continues on. It does continue on, much like us. <laughs> much like us. Um, so, wow, two ninety nine. All right, so we're here to talk about season seven, episode eight, the mid season finale. Couple things before we get started, though. The first is our record your favorite scene competition. As always, I'm going to add another prize. To the prize box today. Oh, awesome. And, and I'm going to tell you about that after we replay this entry from Justin in Nacogdoches, Texas. Anyway, that's not how this works. Now, I already told you people. First one's free. Then what I say? I said I would shut that shit down. No exceptions. Now, I don't know what kind of lying assholes you've been dealing with. But I'm a man of my word. First impressions are important. I need you to know me. So, back to it. All right. Thank you very much, Justin. And I hope I'm getting Nacogdoches, Texas, right. I'm sure you are. <laughs> I don't know. There's a there's a G in there <laughs> that I'm not really pronouncing. So. <laughs> oh well, I have confidence in you, Christopher. All right. Well, that's that was a fun entry. That was uh, Negan, of course, Justin's rendition of Negan. And uh, if you want to get an entry in, you pick an you pick a scene from any episode of The Walking Dead. You record it somehow on your phone, your computer, whatever. Um, we don't get very many entries involving more than one person. We get a lot of like solo monologues or one person doing two or three parts, but we don't get many like friends or family members getting together. So I highly recommend you do that over the holidays, get everyone together around the table and record a scene. It'll be awesome. Do it. When you do, send it in via email or whatever to us, talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com, and you can win a big fancy prize pack at the end of season seven. And this week... Adding to that prize box is a mug, a Daryl Dixon Walking Dead crossbow mug. 
I don't even know where to start. How exciting. What do you mean by crossbow mug? There's so much awesome in that one sentence. It's it's a coffee mug and the handle is a crossbow. Oh, so, sweet. Do you have it in front of you? You can at least show me on the camera? Oh, I'm sorry. No? I don't. I should have brought it out, but it's actually in the vault yeah. right now. Uh, but it's, okay, good. Safe. Safe and sound in the uh, in the prize vault. It is not going anywhere until it gets packed up and shipped out to the winner sometime next spring or summer. So, uh, nice. yep. It says, uh, if Daryl dies, we riot on it, and it has the crossbow as the handle. Now, it is not dishwasher safe because the crossbow is metal, I believe is the reason. Oh. Uh, but you know what? You you can drink out of this and wash it in the sink. I think everyone will be okay. So lovingly, you take loving care of it by washing it by hand uh, every time you use it, and then put it back on, into your uh, display cabinet, <laughs> and then take it out. Uh, you know, for the special occasions, for uh, you know when you want to have chai tea or uh, a, a coffee with uh, a dear dear friend. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a pretty nice mug and it's a good size too. It's not like some tiny little wimpy coffee mug. It's, it holds a, a good solid amount of liquid. I don't know what the measurement is, but it looks big. At least four beers. Well, maybe over the course of an <laughs> evening. <laughs> it will hold four beers, one at a time. <laughs> You're right. One at a time, all morning long. Uh, yep. All right. So thank you again to Justin for sending that in and get more entries coming in, everyone. We'd love to get them. And uh, you can't win if you don't enter. That's my motto for life, actually. Okay. It, yeah, I think it works. It applies to everything. See, I don't... Yeah, for me, it's it's just the first part. <laughs> if you can't win? You, you can't win. That's right. <laughs> okay. That's my motto. <laughs> you can't win. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Jason. That's rather depressing. <laughs> All right, Season 7, Episode 8. Here we go. And your heart's still beating. Doctor, doctor, he flatlined. I think he's gone. He's not gone. The heart's still beating! Heart still beating! Woo! <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt in Delaware, Trucker Jim on the internet, and Gareth in Germany. Uh, a couple, three really unique ones in a row there. One, we had a clip from a song from Matt. Mm-hmm. Trucker Jim, uh, you know, did a little skit there and really gave it his all at the end. And Gareth in Germany, I'm pretty sure was in his car, actually honked his horn and got someone else to honk their horn too. Nice. So good stuff. Germany's so nice. <laughs> Germany, yeah. Very friendly place. I've been there many times. Yeah. I've uh, never been. Always wanted to go. Yeah. No, it's great. Good beer, cool cities, and uh, right next to Czech Republic where I go all the time. So, Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, all right, Jason, we're going to recap Hearts Still Beating, and we open up with Maggie. She's at Glenn's Grave, and she's mourning a little bit there, which is fine. She seems to do that every day. Uh, but we see her climbing up a ladder to the top of the hilltop wall. And then Gregory Holt walks up behind her on the ground holding an apple. And uh, he tells her basically to not let saving this place go to her head. You know, don't get too excited about everything you've done here so far because I don't care that much. He's kind of a dick. His whole job is just to walk around being a dick it's, nowadays. It sure like, seems, that seems like, like it. That's, a, that's his whole job. Yeah, it's it's he doesn't really do anything else. He he walks around, acts like a jerk, and gets uh, manhandled by the saviors when they show up. 
So, yeah. Um, so that's what he says to her. Uh, she asks about the apple and before he can eat it, which he says he's going to do, the other guy on the wall says, dude, you know, she's pregnant, right? <laughs> which that was a bit weird, <laughs> but you know, whatever. And so then he gives her the apple instead of eating it himself. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Weird sort of scene, I thought, but I mean, I guess Gregory's not all bad. He did share his apple. Uh, when under scrutiny of other people. Yeah, that's right. If that other guy wasn't there, he would have walked away enjoying that apple, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So we cut over to Negan. He's still in Carl's house and he's teaching Carl how to shave, uh, saying against the grain. And Judith is there. And I thought Judith was amazing in this scene. Did you see how she looked back and forth between like Negan and Carl and the blade and stuff like that? She did a good job. That actress. I think she did a good job too. You know, <laughs> she was really, really good. There, there have been scenes where Judith has just been staring at the boom mic the whole time. You can really tell, but yeah. not in this one, not in this one. She had the eye lines right to the other characters in the scene. If I was on a TV show, that's what I'd stare at. The boom mic. The boom mic? <laughs> it's guess. a big fuzzy thing that's just, you know, floating over your head. I think that'd be <laughs> awesome. I'd be looking Ooh. at that thing going off. That I've always liked boom mics. I thought they were great. Look at that thing. Wow. Oh, it's so fuzzy. I want to touch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd be reaching up to it all the time. Uh, yeah. All right. So we cut over to Daryl. He's looking at the note. I guess he's thinking about escaping. And then he does. He opens the door and he sneaks out of his cell. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, no, it's just the way you put that. And then he does. Yeah. Well. Like it's so hard, right? He just, you know, fuck it. I'm going to escape. Yeah. It's time. The note said go now. I might as well go now. <laughs> Back in Rick's house, Negan is cooking a tomato sauce in Rick's kitchen. Uh, Carl seems to be helping, doing something involving uh, cooking. And outside on the porch, Tara brings the lemonade for Olivia. And Tara offers to take over to give Olivia a break, but she says, no, I told Rick I'm going to watch Judith, and uh, she intends to continue doing that. And as Olivia goes inside, you can see Negan's people uh, guarding the place on the street. So I wasn't really ever clear until this episode and, and not entirely after this episode, how many people Negan brought with him, um, because it didn't seem like there were that many when they were leaving Alexandria uh, in the last episode. But I think there's at least five or six of his guys there with him, right? Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, I always assume that he travels with a large, on, large entourage because, you know, if he goes someplace without like a whole bunch of armed gunmen, He's in danger of uh, getting killed and not being protected properly. Yeah, well, nobody likes him, so he needs people around him to keep uh, keep him protected. In fact, I'd say more than four or five. There's probably four or five at the gate that we see later, yeah. and then there's at least four or five at the house. So there's probably 10 or 11 or 12. I, I have to believe that Negan's mom likes him. Uh, at the very least. Yeah, I guess at the very least. But His somebody... dad, probably not, but his mom... You know, probably likes him. She's delusional, but she likes him. Okay, fair enough. But she may not be alive anymore, which leaves nobody. We don't know. Well, I, I like to think she is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Inside the house, Carl is setting the table, and Negan asks for another place to be set. Uh, what did you think of clean-shaven Negan? Do you prefer the stubbly beard, or do you prefer the clean-shaven? I prefer, prefer the stubbly beard. Really? Just a little bit. Yeah. I thought- That's because I like you so much, Chris. You never go clean shaven. You always just kind of, uh, you know, trim it down, but, uh, or let it go really super bushy. But right now, you know, you kind of trim it down, but you never clean shave, right? Like when was the last time you were clean shaven? 
uh, before I could actually grow a beard when I was a t- there you go teenager. Yeah, since I started yeah. growing hair on my face, I haven't actually shaved it to nothing like ever with a razor, which is weird. Like that never most people don't do that, but I just don't like it. So I use the clipper and I trim it a bit, and that's it. Yeah, you're not most people, but I think it's because I oh. like you so much that uh, I prefer Negan with the with a bit of stubbliness on him. Well, here's my opinion. I thought while he was shaving, it looked weird. I, and then the first scene, uh, the first scene at the dinner, in these scenes at the table, I thought he looked weird. I'm like, ooh, it doesn't look like Negan anymore. I got used to him with the beard. But by the end of the episode, I was totally on board. I really liked clean shaven Negan by the end of this episode. And I, I think now if he goes back to having the beard, it'll be weird. Okay, well, you just uh, enjoy the changes as they come, I guess. I, I guess so, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but we cut over to Rick and Aaron, and they're at that lake uh, that they have to cross to get to the houseboat. They find a boat they can use, except it's full of bullet holes, which doesn't make it a very good boat. A little oh, Yeah, a boat, uh, boat full of holes is more of a, you know, I, I don't know. It's not, it's not really anything. It's more of a stick. More of a sinking thing, device, yes. Yeah. Something that will sink in water. Uh, but they think they can make it at least partway anyways to a canoe that they can see out in the water. And uh, Rick tells Aaron he can stay back if he wants, but Aaron gets offended by this. Uh, and he goes yeah. to... Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, he's there. He knows what has to be done. Uh, but he walks off and he breaks the sign. He kicks the sign down so they can use the sign boards as paddles. Which is handy because there's no, from what I can tell, there's no oars in the uh, in the tin boat. No nope. holes. No oars, and and you need something to you know paddle your way across. Um, back at the house, they're sitting around the table waiting for Rick. Negan decides he doesn't want to wait anymore, so he puts Lucille in Rick's chair, and then he asks Carl to pass the bread, and pauses and says please, and has a huge smile on his face. Well, that's what uh, Carl was making in the kitchen. He was making the biscuits. Oh, right. And Negan was uh, making the spaghetti. Yeah, yeah. It looked like a pretty good meal, but Jeffrey Dean Morgan knows how to smile. Like, if you're looking at it right now, look at the size of that smile. That is a toothy, beautiful grin. He's a he's a, he's a, uh, a good-looking man. Yeah, with a big smile. Yeah. So we go into the opening credits, and uh, after when we come back, we are in a scene with uh, Spencer and Rosita. They're back, and the saviors are inspecting their stuff. And one of the guys congratulates Spencer on a good haul, and he says it looks like you had to work for it, and that means you get it. You get what we're trying to do here, which is take all your stuff and make your life difficult. Right. Uh, now a savior whose name apparently is Laura offers to buy Spencer a sandwich. Do you know what she's really saying, Jason? <laughs> well, she's inviting him out for coffee. Right. Not really a sandwich, actually a coffee. Yeah. And by coffee- Well, not actually a coffee either because, you know, coffee is, you want to go for a coffee is code for, I would like to have sex with you in the bushes over there. So she wants to have sex with him. Okay. Is that code in the real world or only in the zombie apocalypse? Well, the sandwich part, I assume, is uh, zombie apocalypse, but uh, going for coffee is a, a real world thing. Oh, interesting. All right. But, it, 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 you know, sometimes when you some, ask somebody up for coffee, it's just for coffee. But sometimes when you ask somebody up for coffee, they want to take you home and bone you. Oh, I thought you said something about the bushes. It can be bushes oh, or, yeah, or the bushes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, usually my experience with sex in the bushes is it's a little more overt. It's like, hey, would you like to go have sex in the bushes? And my answer is always... 
Of course I would, <laughs> uh, because it's sex in the bushes. Because who doesn't like getting so. a pine cone up their ass? You know, very few people. Very few, yeah. One or two, not many. <laughs> so she, Laura, is making this, you know, offer to Spencer, and Eugene is standing there watching. And uh, <laughs> Best line. Hey there, haircut. Do you like to watch? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It was whatever. I, I paraphrased a little uh, bit, but uh, it's awesome. I laughed out loud. It was a it was an actual guffaw. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. But Laura tells him to get out of there because right. he's not going to watch anything. Uh, we go to Carol. We haven't seen her since episode two of season seven. She's eating pomegranate seeds, or at least sitting beside a bowl of them. And uh, she hears something outside. She finds Morgan. She invites him in. He brought her some veggies and some fruit, it looks like, but she already has a bunch, so she's doing okay on her own. And they have a brief conversation about her just being left alone. So he goes to leave, opens the door, and then Richard is standing there. So like half the town is coming to see Carol all at once here, even though she wants to be left alone. Well, that's what happens when you tell somebody you want to be left alone. Just leave me alone. And they don't. Because people are jerks and they don't think you actually want what you say you want. They think it's code for, I would like the exact opposite of what I just said I want. Well, I don't think it is in Carol's case. She wants to be left alone with her vegetables and her fire and her pomegranate seeds. Absolutely. Yeah, well, she wouldn't even have the vegetables or the pomegranate seeds if she was actually left alone. She would just have the fire and, you know, beef jerky or whatever the hell she has stored in her cupboard. Yeah, and you can't eat fire. (laughs) No, you can't. At least Believe not, me. At least not survive off of it. Yeah. I've seen some fire eaters before. They were pretty impressive. Well, uh, you don't get nutrition out of it. No, no. You just get a hot throat. Anyways, we go to Rick and Aaron and uh, they're partway across the lake. The walkers or maybe the swimmers are starting to grab at the boat and they're stabbing them with their signs, which is pretty cool. They make it to the canoe, but of course there's a walker in the canoe lying there. Uh, Rick manages to kill it. He jumps in, but Aaron gets pulled into the lake. So yeah, the old, uh, you know, zombie in the canoe trap, you know, it's a classic. It is. It is. I mean, if you're going to have a canoe just floating there, why not put a zombie in it? Uh, Aaron gets pulled into the lake though. He appears to get pulled under, underwater. And I thought maybe Aaron was a goner at this point, uh, or at the very least would get bitten while struggling in the water and then climb out and die later. Uh, but he manages to come up for air safely and gets into the houseboat, and so does Rick, and they both kind of just collapse onto the deck of the boat. I knew exactly what was happening when he went under the water. Yeah. I, I don't think he was being pulled under because he he popped up a little bit, took a deep breath, and then went underwater. He was hiding. Was like, oh, he's doing the old uh, loon trick, where the loons, they go, hoo, 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 and then they go under the water, and who the hell knows where they're going to turn up? Because they go under and they swim into the water and they do their fishing thing and they show up like 500 meters further somewhere else in the lake. So that's what I thought he was doing. So it's kind of a smart move. Like if there's water, if there's zombies in a lake and they're just floating around, they're not going to, they can't swim. They don't go underwater. So if you go underwater and swim and you presume, I assume you can see underwater sort of, but you can sort not of Not in avoid this damn them. pond. This thing is the dirtiest, friggin' grossest uh, putrid because you, it's basically a soup of rotting humans. Yeah. Uh, that's been there for a long time. So don't breathe and <laughs> I wouldn't open my eyes yeah. and I'd wash out my ears and any other uh, orifices that I have, I'd make sure that they were clean because really you get some nasty bacteria. 
well, uh, I, all over you. I think it's smart to keep your orifices clean even on a on a on any day, really. But in this case, you're right. It's just a big rotting flesh soup, and he's swimming around in it. But I still think you're right. It makes sense to hide underwater for a short time because the zombies can't really see you. Okay, so I have two whatever. questions. All right. Okay, first question is not really a question. It's a it's conf- confirm my assumption. Zombies don't breathe. No, they don't breathe. Okay. They don't need to be on top of the water. Nope. They can- They don't breathe. They can be underwater. In fact, they're probably like wood. Eventually, they become so waterlogged and saturated with water, they would sink. Well, a body will sink and then bloat and float again. Okay. So, yeah, and then it breaks apart into grossness and then all the parts sink again. But, uh, so my questions are, uh, if he goes under the water- are there more zombies under there? Like, is, it, is this whole thing layered? These are the ones at the top, and then there's one, like, one's a couple of feet down, and then there's like 400,000 of them lining the bottom of this gross pond. There could be. There could be. He doesn't know, but uh, I think he's, it's worth, worth the risk of swimming underwater to get away from the ones on the surface. Right. So my second question is, All right. if zombies don't breathe, why are they swimming? What do you mean? Well, why why are these zombies on the top of the water? Why are they floating at all? Because there's no why air are in they, them? They're swimming. They're like paddling their arms, trying to stay above water. Why? Well, I don't know if they're, they were they, it didn't look like any of them were actually swimming. They were just kind of but, floating or stuck, stuck in stuff. But they were flapping their arms like they're like, and, and moving around like they were trying to stay above the water line. No, I understand the actors need to breathe, but the zombies don't. <laughs> no, I don't think they the zombies were trying to stay above the water. I think they were just trying to navigate the water, right? The zombies the zombies um uh instinct if they have that is to to move. Some of them, right? Some of them just just lay down and don't move, but the ones that want to move are trying to basically walk through the water. And I think they're not swimming, they're just trying to move and they're stuck in a lake. Right. Maybe okay. stuck in the mud. Maybe, you know, they got a something wedged. They're wedged in between rocks or something like that. Who knows? But I don't yeah. think they're actually they, trying to swim. And they seem pretty spaced out, like evenly spaced out. Do you think that uh, the guy with, in the, that lived in the houseboat anchored them down in strategic locations? That's an interesting idea. Uh, you know, he has a moat around his houseboat, basically, and he's filled that moat with crocodiles. Right. And if they're not anchored down, wouldn't they continuously swim towards the uh, houseboat when he was living there and he'd have to constantly fend them off? Well, but uh, yeah, if they weren't anchored down. You're overthinking this. (laughs) Okay. All right. We'll move on. (laughs) No, maybe not. (laughs) I I think anchoring them down is actually an interesting idea. It might be tough to do, but after you get a few in there, cinder block tied around their leg, they'd stay there until the leg ripped off. Yeah, that's true. It's not a terrible idea. Anyways. We go back to Daryl, and he is sneaking around the Savior's compound. He sneaks into somebody's room, and he changes clothes while eating a jar of peanut butter that he finds. And he sees some carvings, I guess what look like carvings on a table. Now, I think this is supposed to be Dwight's room, right? Yes, and these are the carvings that were in his motorcycle. Didn't he uh, carve some figurines and put them in the pack in his motorcycle? Oh, Daryl did? I seem to rem- yeah. I seem to remember Dwight... Like whittling in the in the was episode. Was it Dwight that was whittling? It wasn't Daryl. Well, wasn't Dwight in in the uh, in the first Daryl episode where Dwight was in his sandwich making montage? Don't don't we see him whittling or carving something? I think that's what we were supposed to connect here. That he saw those carvings, so that's how we know this is Dwight's room. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't 100% sure the first time I watched it either, but I'm pretty sure that's what they were getting at here. So uh, a couple of things about the room. Uh, there's a TV in this room. And Dwight said in the last episode that he spends all night watching TV. Oh, that's right. So I thought I'd find that interesting. wonder what he's watching. Well, we know he's watching, uh, what was it? Shoot, we saw the 80s TV in, in again did. in his episode. It was, um, oh, I forget which 80s show, but anyways, he's, he's watching 80s TV, like on VHS. Oh, yeah, he's got a bunch of, he's got a VCR and VHS, that's right. Yeah, so <laughs> I'd get tired of that pretty fast, I think, but, you know, you... you... Well, it depends, right? You know, you're, uh, I mean, you and I live in a world where uh, the amount of enter- television entertainment that we have access to at any given moment of any day is astonishing. Kind of a like scene, really. Even YouTube alone is, like, scary. Mm-hmm. You get into a YouTube spiral, you could spend, like, a couple of days... Uh, you know, going through friggin' stupid videos on whatever topic you uh, damn well feel like. But uh, in the zombie apocalypse, you know, you're, uh, you basically, you accept a lot less in uh, the perks in life. So, you know, it might go down to, okay, so I found a collection of, uh, somebody has all of the episodes of Three's Company. Fine, I'll watch Three's Company. I mean, it's the same episode over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But, you know, in the zombie apocalypse, you're willing to accept a little Three's Company in your life. Oh, I would be. I mean, there's far worse things than Three's Company, in my opinion. Like what? From the 70s? What? What do you got? Um, I don't know, but I'm sure there are. <laughs> I didn't watch a lot of TV back then, but I liked Three's Company, so... Uh... It's be. all the same stuff, right? It's and it's uh, you know the audience knows something that the actors don't, and that every episode is exactly that. Yeah, right. Same as Gilligan's Island, kind of, right? No, Gilligan's Island is a little bit different. Gilligan's Island is Gilligan screwing up something that uh, is a perfectly reasonable way for them to get off the island, and Gilligan will find a way to screw it up. Mm. Uh, Three's Company is, there's a situation that is completely misinterpreted by Mr. Roper or Mr. Furley uh, or Mrs. Roper, uh, and the audience knows what's going on, but the whoever's on uh, in, the, in the episode does not know what's going on. Right. Well, I'm just saying, I think it would be okay to watch that over and over again, frankly. Try it. <laughs> no, Try it huh? for one week. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> Anyways, we're cutting back and forth here between Daryl doing his thing and Rick and Aaron. So they're, we're back with Rick and Aaron. They're searching the boat. And Aaron finds a note from the original owner that says, congrats for winning, but you still lose. And there's a big drawing of the middle finger on it. I wonder what that means. I don't know. It's strange that he would write that note and and leave it there i think i don't know it seems like too much sort of thinking ahead it's like i'm gonna die so i'm gonna write this goofy note i don't know well i mean the whole thing you know that was uh you know the signs this is what this guy did uh, to entertain himself he created the sign by the road yeah saying don't come in here i don't want you to come in here there's nothing in here and then a more another sign saying uh congratulations if you got this far and i haven't haven't shot you that means i'm dead so now the next thing is to write a sign saying, hey, you managed to get all the way to the houseboat without dying, but you still lose, idiots. But how do they lose? 
Like, is it the grand scheme of things where you're going to die too because we all die and therefore every life uh, indicates a loser and therefore you're a loser, I'm a loser, everybody you know, uh, everybody you've ever met is a loser. (laughs) Right. Or is it, is there a trick? I was, I was expecting the houseboat to blow up. Like, haha, you lose, look up and there's a bomb or something, some, some other way of, uh, like a last ditch effort of screw you somehow. But we didn't really get that. I mean, this, the the note was used later in the episode, but completely unrelated to, unrelated to the guy who lived in the houseboat. Yeah. Or one of the, you know, maybe the dresser was full of zombie heads that were still alive and snapping. I don't right? know. Well, I mean, we, I, we got to talk in a second about the, the boots that showed up, you know, on the, uh, on the shoreline, but we'll get to that in a second. Maybe they're related to that though. Um, they find this note, uh, we see, we get a quick scene of Daryl finishing the peanut butter and then flipping the table of carvings before he leaves. And then we're right back with Rick and Aaron. They managed to, they managed to row the houseboat back to shore somehow. I mean, they did, Aaron did say something about the wind picking up and they drift back, but, um, I guess the houseboat was anchored down and they raised anchor so it would start floating around the pond. I don't know. I would assume so, or it would have you know, butted up against the shore a long time ago. That's, that's what I mean. Like it wouldn't have just stayed there. So, uh, I guess they did that. They paddled it back. They're loading all the stuff into the truck. They're talking about whether this is the right thing to do. And, you know, Aaron says he was there in the woods. So he understands why they have to work for Negan this way. And as they drive away, we see this mystery person approach on the far side of the lake, but all we see is their feet. And it's this mismatched pair of boots. So I have no idea who that is, what it is, if it's the owner of the houseboat, maybe, or if it's somebody else, maybe that's related to the note. It's like, sure, I had to abandon my houseboat. You guys got there, but you still lose because now I'm coming after you. That could be, that would at least give meaning to the note. It would, because the note, you're right, by itself doesn't seem to have meant anything or is kind of unclear. So... I don't really know what is going on with it myself, but maybe it's related to those boots we saw. I don't think so. I don't think the boots are related to whoever owned the houseboat, because if the guy owned that houseboat was there, uh, I believe him that if they got anywhere near that second sign, that uh, he would have shot at them. Yeah, he would have opened fire, I think. So uh, I think the guy is dead. Uh, like the sign says, the only way you got here is that I'm dead. And that, uh, this pair of boots with the wire wrapped around it, wrapped around one of the boots, uh, I think that's somebody else. It's a mystery, Chris. Yeah, it is. You, but you think it's unrelated to the houseboat. It's just a coincidence that he was monitoring that place at that time. Uh, yes. It might be related to the houseboat, but I don't think it's the owner of the houseboat. Okay, well, they uh, they show up again later, but before we get to that, uh, we go to Michonne driving with Isabel, and Michonne asks how long she's been with Negan and why she was alone, but the woman doesn't answer, and uh, Michelle Michonne sits back and says she's not going to kill Negan today, but instead find a way to win and change how this ends for her. That's why she's out there alone. Um, we go back to the, and and of course she's still in the front seat holding the gun, sort of funny. And uh, I, I, I was just thinking of you watching that, oh thinking how, how, how much that would annoy you. So the, the, the shot where <sighs> she's got the gun so close to her face, 
like Michonne does, have so close to her own damn face. There's there's always like in the little cracks and things when you fire off a, uh, a round, there's little bits of uh, gas that come out, right? And if it's right near your face, you get two problems. One, you might get a little bit of really super hot gas uh, blowing back in your face, just a little bit enough to really hurt. And two, the way she was holding that thing, it would have a, a bit of a kick and it just punch her right in the face and having a, uh, you know, a piece of steel, hardened steel, whack you in the face is probably a very unpleasant situation. All I can say is Michonne knows what she's doing with a sword, not so much with a handgun. Uh, or any gun. You remember when she was trying to shoot the last one and she shot that deer? Yeah. That wasn't on purpose. We, she's horrible with guns. We blame the gun in that case though. This is her not firing. <sighs> this is her just doing it all wrong. Yeah, you're right. I can't blame the gun this time. No, exactly. So <laughs> she needs to work on her her gun uh, handling skills. She needs to read some blogs on The Walking Dead because I'm probably sure that uh, there's lots of people bitching about this. Oh, probably. Anyways, we go back to the hilltop. Uh, Sasha brings an apple pie to Maggie and Enid in their trailer. Maggie's- Sorry, Maggie, who's eating a cucumber. Yes, she is a cucumber. Just like the other guy was eating the cucumber, just like gnawing down on it. Don't cut it into slices and put it in vinegar or anything, which is good, by the way. Just grab a cucumber, start gnawing away on it. Uh, well, I'm I'm frankly okay with this because I've been known to do that myself. I, I really like you. cucumbers, yeah. You just grab a cucumber and unwrap it, like if you get one of the ones that are com- coming wrapped, you know, individually in cellophane, and you just start chewing down on it? Well, I mean, most of the time I do it with those, and I think we worked through this, we do it with those small baby cucumbers they sell now, because you can just pick one up and eat the whole thing, right? Uh, but I've done it with like a full size English cucumber. Yes. Just eating part of it. I mean, I usually, I usually cut a part off and then eat it. So I don't leave like, you know, big teeth marks on the end of the thing for the next person. I'm going to buy, you know, I've got to go grocery shopping tomorrow. I'm going to buy two full English cucumbers. I'm going to, one for the rest of the family. Right. One for me. I'm just going to pick up and start gnawing on. I'm going to get in trouble. My wife will probably give me shit for it, but you know, in the spirit of the walking dead, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. She's just not open-minded. If she, she could eat a whole cucumber if she wanted to. She can. Yes. It's just weird. I just find it weird that they're eating cucumbers this way. Slice it up. They all got knives. Yeah, I don't know. Listen, the whole point of this scene is Maggie is hungry. She's eaten because she's pregnant. And so she just needed to eat that freaking cucumber, man. And she's going to do it. Uh, and she's pie psychic. And she's pie, <laughs> pie psychic. She could <laughs> she could feel the pie on its way. Well, you know, some people have very specific psychic tendencies. And I guess when Maggie's pregnant, she's pie psychic. She can tell when there's an apple pie within 20 feet of her. She's well, like, oh, pie. She's got enhanced olfactory skills. That's what it is. Yeah. So anyways, they talk about Maggie running for Hilltop president, uh, which is funny. And then Maggie wants to know if Jesus is still around, but Sasha lies about when he left. And when Maggie leaves uh, for a minute, Enid confronts Sasha about the lie and insists, uh, and Sasha insists on not telling Maggie about his mission because Sasha doesn't want Maggie to get involved in her plan to kill Negan or do anything because, you know, Maggie needs to take it easy, apparently. Yeah. Uh, We go back to Richard and Morgan and Carol he showed up at their door, if you recall, and he's talking to them and he tries to convince them that it's time to fight back against Negan. And he basically says he wants to attack them, the saviors, while they still can, because he doesn't trust the saviors to, you know, keep making good on their deal, which is probably smart on his part. 
Uh, we go over to Rosita. She's talking with Father Gabe in the church, and he is trying to convince her to wait and not, you know, to use her bullet and take the shot at Negan because he says we can take Negan down together. Um, but the, but I think the whole point of this scene was to give us an idea of sort of how Rosita is feeling because she comes across really like she has nobody left. You know, she she rattles off all the other couples and other people who have other people still, you know, family members, whatever, loved ones. Um, but I think she's feeling like I have nobody. I'm kind of useless to the group. So if somebody is going to die attempting to kill Negan or killing Negan, it might as well be me is how she's feeling. Right. Which is very selfless of her. But, you know, Gabe says that it's not all on, on all on her back uh, to, to do this and that they're better off doing it as a group. And I think he convinces her at this point. I think he's successful in convincing her of this before he, he leaves. You, really? I do. I didn't think that he was successful. No, I, I did. thought that he thought that he was successful. Oh, well, I see the difference there, but no, I, I think, I think he was successful. I think Rosita was at the very least having second thoughts saying that, you know, maybe I don't have to do this all by myself. And in fact, later on, when she talks to Spencer, remember, and they agree to agree to have dinner, I feel like she's, this is, you know, post-conversation with Gabe, and I feel like her mentality's changed a little bit. Her her disposition seems sunnier, that's for sure. So I, I, think, I think he actually convinced her not to do it. And then things change again when uh, we see what happens in a little bit. Right. Uh, but we go back to Daryl first. He's running down a hallway at the Savior's place still. He passes a group of them in a room. Looks like they're playing cards, having a good time. And he grabs a big metal pipe. Um, cut back over to Richard, and he's continuing to try to convince Morgan and Carol of his plan to attack the Saviors. He assumes that Carol hasn't had to fight before, <laughs> which everyone <laughs> knows is just crazy. And Morgan even says, you know, she might be the most capable one in this room. And that's yep. saying something with those two guys. It really there. is. Uh, now neither Carol or Morgan, they speak up now and neither of them want to fight or really have anything to do with Richard's plan at all. And so Morgan goes and Carol is kind of agitated at this point. She tells him not to let anyone else come around her place. She just wants to be 100% on her own. That's what she's going Leave for. Leave me alone. It's very simple, people. So Spencer, he enters his house and he finds the place ransacked, of course. This is from when Rick was searching for the hidden gun uh, back in the first time Negan came to Alexandria. And we get a really weird pan across the, the mess and a time jump forward and the mess just kind of disappears um, because Spencer cleans it up, I guess. That was really weird. I actually had to rewind and look at it again. I was like, well, why did they do a transition? Did they go back in time to show us when he was hiding the gun? Like, what are they doing? And then they showed him saying hi in the mirror and me going, nobody ever does that. Have you ever done that? You know, practice in the mirror saying hi nope. or uh, in order to, you know, win the affections of uh, the woman that you eventually would marry and have kids with. Nope. You know, when you met, for before you met Christina or just after you met Christina, you never looked in the mirror and practiced what you were going to say to her in order to impress her and get just the right tone? Nope, I did not. Me neither. I've never done anything like that. Has anybody, any of our listeners, if you have ever done anything like that, let me know what the situation was because that's interesting. <laughs> I think that this is a complete fabrication made up by 
TV people. I think it probably is, but I, you're right. I didn't understand at first, oh, are we going back in time or are we going ahead in time or what's going on? Like, did they even need to show us this cleanup? I mean, I know he walks out then and he's all cleaned up as well, right? He's got nice clothes on. He's not covered in blood anymore. Um, but it was weird. Like, I I don't think they needed to show us the the transition clean of, of his house. Uh, I'm not going to say it's all that important and it, I don't think it ruined anything for me, but I did think it was a little bit strange. And I, yeah, it jumped out at me as an odd, awkward thing. And slight, and in the moment, slightly confusing because at the end of it, you don't know if you're back in time or what's going on. So, uh, you know, for that reason, I think they probably could have just left it out, but he's all clean. He's practicing speaking in the mirror. Um, and then he takes a mostly empty bottle of booze and, and leaves. So we go back to Richard. He's left, of course, Carol's place and he's in the woods and he comes across a well-hidden trailer or something or mobile home or something like that. And he goes in there and it seems to be full of some supplies, but he smashes a bottle on the, uh, on the floor and collapses and starts crying. So uh, I assume this was where, you know, his family's maybe where he was hiding with his family before he found the kingdom, because he did mention them when he was talking to Carol and Morgan. It could be, it could just be his, uh, his hidden man cave. Where he goes to cry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's his safe place. Right. I, I guess so. Um, to me. You have it, a safe place, right? Yeah. It's, it's right, like it's yeah. right here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, when I need to cry, I go into my furnace room. And sit down and cry. Curl up around the warm furnace. Makes you feel better? Yeah. Take my shirt off and cry. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> nice image. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, I think this is just Richard sort of being, uh, feeling like he's out of options, right? He he thinks he knows what needs to be done, but he, he doesn't have anyone on his side. So this is where he goes when he needs to reflect a moment, have a good cry, and then get back to work after. Well, he feels like Cassandra. The, uh, the, the Greek figure, Cassandra, who was cursed to know the future, but nobody would believe her. So he feels right. like he knows what's going to happen. And he's trying to convince everybody he can that uh, Negan is a bad situation and uh, we got to go, we have to attack the saviors now because if we wait for them to attack us, it's going to be too late. And he's just frustrated that nobody will believe him. But that's just the curse of life, that you know something, nobody's going to believe you. Well, it, when you know something and nobody does believe you, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's troublesome. Um, but we go back to Spencer, he's on his way to see Negan and he finds Rosita there sitting on the porch and, uh, he explains to her that he wants to get in the Savior's good books for now, which, and then it could be years or, well, months or years, and maybe they can try something then, you know, to see what they can do, um, but they talk a little bit about their relationship and they agree to have dinner later. So this is partly why I think Rosita's maybe changed her mind. You know, she's no longer obsessed with trying to kill Negan and use her one bullet. She's kind of relaxed a little and she's willing to open up to Spencer, have dinner with him and, and maybe move on and accept the fact that they have to live like this, but eventually they'll be able to do something. So I don't know, maybe not. Uh, things change obviously again in a minute, but I think for this very moment, she's decided to take it easy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you yeah. at this point. It, it's what it seems like to me. Uh, so 
go back to Daryl. He breaks out of the same door he came out last time he tried to escape. And he's out there in the motorcycle parking lot. He finds Joey out there. And uh, weird, I thought that Fat Joey immediately tries to surrender. (laughs) Like, I don't know what he's doing. Drop his sandwich. He's like, you just, he's holding a sandwich and he just drops the sandwich. And uh, yeah, he's... You know, he just goes, he's just going along to get along. He goes along with whoever is, uh, seems to be in charge in any given moment. Yeah. And in this moment, Daryl's got a pipe. He's got a sandwich. Daryl's in charge. <laughs> he, the guy brought a sandwich to a pipe fight and that's never, that's, right. that's never going to work out. <laughs> it, no, and it doesn't. It certainly does not. So he tries to surrender to Daryl, but Daryl really doesn't hesitate much and he beats him to death with that metal pipe. So. I thought that was pretty harsh. Was that really necessary for Daryl to do? Uh, to beat poor Joseph dude, to death with a pipe? Think about what Daryl's been through, though, and what these people have done to him. And, you know, he has this chance. He's not going to risk it by letting him go. Yeah, it's harsh, but I, we, we've seen worse things happen, I think. Yeah. You know, I think so. But It's just, it's hard to see uh, one of our intrepid heroes doing something this brutal. Well, yeah, but again, we've, I don't think it's the first time we've seen them do things like this, but you're right. I mean, Fat Joey is somewhat of an innocent bystander in this, you know, not, not really. I mean, he's done some stuff. He is definitely one of the saviors or Negan's men, but, uh, yeah, he kind of just stumbles into the situation. It feels like trying to enjoy his lunch and ends up with a pipe to the head. Harsh. Yeah. Harsh day for Joseph. A little bit. Um... Uh, but then, uh, Jesus shows up kind of out of nowhere and he witnesses the murder and, uh, Daryl. Jesus is always watching. It, it's for sure. If you commit like murder, Jesus is going to be there and we'll see it. He will see. Yeah. Uh, Daryl grabs a gun from Joseph and, uh, I guess they escape on a motorcycle. Just drive yeah. off. So it was a motorcycle. Well, he starts key. backing up in the motorcycle. Well, I think we can assume he drove the motorcycle away. Uh, and I guess it was indeed a motorcycle key that he had. So there you go. Good. Uh, so back in Alexandria, a rat is denying Spencer access to Rick's house. He, he's there to, to talk to Negan, but of course Negan comes out and says, let him in. Spencer introduces himself. So now we go to Michonne and Isabel's driving. She stops at the top of a hill and way off in the distance, we can see what kind of looks like some vehicles and some people. Uh, and Isabel says, that's Negan. And, uh, she tells Michonne to just go home. You can kill me, ditch the car and, you know, just turn around and, and get out of here. And then the camera sort of spins the other way. And we're looking from a long distance back at the car they're in. And we see Michonne, well, we see a gunshot go off in the car. So Michonne killed Isabel and then the car turns around and drives away. I thought this was pretty harsh too. I thought it was like two very... Uh, harsh, brutal things that our heroes have done in a very short time span. Man, they are not fucking around with Negan's people. No, they are really, really not. I mean, you can understand it. You know, they're not going to let someone go back and and report what happened. Part is part of it, and I think they're also just really pissed off. Some yeah. of, some of I them, mean, anyways. There's the phrase "turnabout is fair play." So if they, you know. Uh, if the saviors are doing something incredibly brutal to your group, it's entirely fair for them to be uh, very brutal with uh, with Negan's group. That's one aspect to it. But then there's the other aspect to it is 
aren't our group of intrepid heroes better than Negan's people? And if we're better, shouldn't we be doing things better instead of just being as brutal to them as they are being to us? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a key question, actually, that in a, in a lot of ways, this show has been asking from the beginning. You know, I, I think the question of do, can you do what you need to to survive is in, in some ways the same question, because sometimes what you need to do to survive is is kill people. And sometimes it's kill people in cold blood to save yourself or those you love. So uh, I don't know if you can say that our group of heroes is better. They're just more successful at surviving. Well, not really, because all of the saviors are all still alive. So the success factor is we're all still alive. They're all still alive. So we're all pretty successful at surviving. Who will ultimately be more successful is an open question. It's an open but question. I, yeah. And it's, I, it's I'm an pretty a, sure I know. So. <laughs> well, you don't know. You don't know for sure. Well, I know who the camera has been following around for seven years. Yeah, sure. But there are degrees by which, you know, things can happen and people can survive. So sure, maybe most of the saviors will get taken out at some point before the end of season seven, but maybe most of the Alexandrians will as well. We don't know. Well, I have an, I have an idea, but we'll get to that at the end of the episode. All right, fine. So, uh, we go back to Rick and Aaron and they're returning to Alexandria. Now they gate opens and they realize Negan is there. Uh, one of Negan's guys wants to inspect the goods that they brought before Rick goes to see Negan. Uh, I guess while that's happening, we see Negan and Spencer, they're drinking scotch on the porch and he wants to play some pool. Negan does. Spencer says there's a pool table in the house across the street and they decide to bring it out into the street so they can enjoy the weather. It's a great idea. It's It's an awesome idea. Pool table in the middle of the road. You have a little community gathering, street party, barbecue, play some pool, eat some burgers. Sounds like a good time. It does sound like a good time. Well, not so much this time though. But uh, so they're unloading Rick and Aaron's truck is what we see now. And they find the note with the middle finger. The saviors, of course, think the note is for them because, well, why wouldn't they, I guess? And they get pissed off and decide to beat the shit out of Aaron. Why the hell would they bring the note? Oh, it it doesn't make any sense. Crumple it up and throw it in the friggin' water. Look, I found a note. Isn't that interesting? This guy thinks that we're dead anyway. So, yeah, oh well. It doesn't How make, did you bring the note? It doesn't make any sense to me either. Don't, I don't know. I, I feel like it was brought by accident. You know, it's, it's a plot device note so that when they get back to Alexandria, oh, Aaron gets right. his ass kicked. That's an excellent point. The note came of its own accord in order to further the plot. <laughs> it's right. They didn't bring it. It snuck its way into the box. Yeah. Pretty much. So... They go back to, we go back to the pool in the, the, in the street, a crowd is gathering around them. I'm not really sure why, but like everybody comes out of their houses to gather around Negan and Spencer having a game of pool. I guess it isn't something you see every day. (laughs) Oh, look, a pool table. Why are they, why are they doing this? (laughs) Yeah. Why are they watching it? They just, they just want to be there, I suppose. And this is when Spencer and Negan have the, uh, the big talk that Spencer wants to have. And he's basically tries to convince Negan that he should be in charge, not Rick. And he kind of tries to make Rick look bad by saying he got his whole family killed and Rick doesn't work well with others. And uh, this is sort of intercut with Aaron being beat up, which wasn't fun to see. 
Um, and this is the second time in the episode where I thought, uh oh, Aaron's going to die. You know, I thought he was going to drown or be bitten in the lake. And then I, he survived that. And I thought, uh oh, now he's going to be beat up or beat to death by the saviors here. Um, but turns out he's pretty resilient uh, because they stop kicking his ass. And then Rick picks him up and starts helping him towards home, towards the house. Yep. Um, we, we cut back over there and Negan doesn't really respond well to Spencer's idea. He says that at least Rick is swallowing his hate and getting shit done. He's out there collecting stuff. Negan seems to see Spencer as a real coward. And as he walks up to him, he jams a massive knife into his gut and just practically almost cuts him in half. His entire like intestinal cavity opens and it all falls out into his hands and he falls to the ground. So Spencer is dead. Very dead. Or, Very gutted. Or at least about to be dead. Uh, well, yeah, you, it, you, in this day and age, in this particular situation, I think it'd be quite difficult to uh, survive that. Yeah. You know, even if you could get up, you'd be tripping on your own intestines, which, you know, you probably end up falling down. Would that hurt? Do you think if you stood on your intestine? I don't think do you, it would do feel your intestines good. intestines have... Nerve endings in them that you you know if you stepped on it it would you'd go ow that really hurts my stomach under my foot. <laughs> I don't think it would feel good, but it may be due to the massive gaping wound in your abdomen, not so much the intestines being stepped on. Right, because I know your brain doesn't have nerve endings, so you know you open up your skull and you start poking around with it. You don't feel it. I mean, you start smelling burnt toast and stuff like that, but you know you don't actually feel pain on your brain. That's weird, but I understand it too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, does the same thing hold true for your intestines? <laughs> you know, when he got disemboweled, did it hurt just on the skin and the muscles or did his uh, intestines hurt? I'm talking, I'm thinking over, overthinking this. We're going to move on. <laughs> no, it's an interesting question. I think in <laughs> internally, you don't have the same nerve endings or receptors or whatever they're called, right? I get gas pains. You get gas pains and that hurts on the inside. Yeah, it's more pressure. It's not pain though. Oh, well, you've not been, you haven't been doing it right. Well, maybe I haven't been doing it right. <laughs> hey man, I got plenty of, um, those sorts of Moving issues. On. Moving on. <laughs> uh, so anyways, Rosita, she's at the front of the crowd at, while this is happening and, uh, obviously not very happy about things. Negan is asking if anybody wants to finish the game of pool, you know, he's being his freaking Negan self and Rosita pulls out her gun aims it straight at Negan and takes the shot. We go to a commercial break and I sat there through the, going the whole commercial going, I wonder what's going to happen. I don't know what's about to happen here. I don't think she can kill Negan, but will she hit him? I don't know. I don't know. We come back and the first thing we see is Rick helping Aaron. They hear the gunshot and we quickly find out that Rosita hit Lucille, not Negan. Smart. Well, he was <laughs> waving that baseball bat around in front of his face and she managed to hit the baseball bat instead of him. Uh, Negan freaks out, freaks the right fuck out because, you know, he doesn't want Lucille to be shot. And uh, Rosita says something like she got in the way, which was uh, kind of a funny line, I thought, but it was her. It like, is a little funny. But it was her sort of taunt or uh, poking at him a little bit more, right? You know? Yeah. I uh, meant to shoot you, but I shot the bat instead. Uh, Negan picks up the bullet casing, realizes it was homemade, and he wants to know who made that bullet, and Rosita says it was her. So now a rat is down 
on top of uh, Rosita with a knife to her face. Negan wants a rat to cut her face if she lies. And uh, she does cut her. So she puts a, a scar like right under her eye, down her cheek a little bit. And um, things start to get out of hand. Negan tells a rat to kill somebody. And she just turns around and shoots Olivia, who's standing on the porch. Right in the face. Right in the face. Carl is right beside her, but she hits Olivia, uh, which I thought was funny because Olivia is like the person who's the farthest away at this moment. Like she didn't pick someone who was closer. She spins around and shoots the person who's like way over there. She had uh, Olivia in her sights already. Like for some reason she chose Olivia a long time before, uh, you know, making this random choice. Because you don't, you know, if you shoot somebody, like shoot, pick somebody to shoot, you look around a bit and you kind of think about it, or you pick somebody within your field of vision and you, you open fire and make it appear random. But she just spun around and shot. Was she just shooting in a random direction? No, she wasn't. She aimed at Olivia. That's the thing. Like yeah. she, it's all, I almost felt like she was saying, look how good I am. I can shoot the person way over there with barely any aim instead of somebody, you know, uh, I think Tobin was standing right there. Could have shot him. So I think that, uh, hold on a sec. My baby monitor was on and uh, apparently making noise. Okay. That's fine. So I had to turn it off. Uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah. She had uh, uh, chosen Olivia beforehand because I think she knew what was going to happen. Because if you mess with Negan, Negan kills somebody else. Uh, right. Well, wait a minute. You mean Rosita knew this? No, I think that uh, a rat knew this. Like a rat knew that uh, what was going to happen. That because uh, um, because she took a shot at Negan, someone was going to die. Yeah. And as soon as she went down there, she knew that it wasn't going to be Rosita. So she had somebody else in mind. Okay, well, Negan says a rat kills somebody. He tells her to do it. She spins around and kills Olivia. You're just saying she kind of had Olivia pre-chosen anyways. Yes, yes. Okay, all right. Well, that's fine. It, it just, to me, it seemed weird. It's like she's farthest away. She could have been aiming for Carl and hit Olivia. Like, that's another thing I thought of, because Carl was right there, too. It was. I don't know. Um, anyways, Rick shows up and is obviously super pissed. A Negan wants Rick to thank him again, like he did the last time he came for all of the things he's done. And he tells him about, you know, Carl hiding in the truck, killing his men. And then I brought him back to, I brought him back home to you. Negan talks about what just happened with Spencer. And, uh, he mentions Rosita shooting Lucille. So he wants to thank you, but, uh, he doesn't get one this time. Rick says that it's time for him to go, and he says that he'll leave after he finds out who made the bullet. So um, Rosita tried to say it was her, but Tara pipes up and says it was me because things were starting to get a little out of hand uh, even more. And then Eugene does finally step up and admit that it was him, and he starts to explain the process that he goes through to make it, and that's kind of what made them all believe that, yeah, you must be the guy, otherwise you wouldn't know these sorts of things. And uh, I noted right then that Negan told him to shut up. And I know why Negan told him to shut up. Why? Don't tell everybody the recipe because now you're my bullet guy. That's right. You are the bullet guy. And yeah. I don't want you to be their bullet guy too. Yes. Well, Negan looks really upset about Lucille and uh, he even talks to her. He says, Lucille, give me strength. 
So yeah. this is a serious relationship between him and his bat. And he tells Rick that he's taking Eugene along with all the stuff, but no matter how good it is, it's not good enough after what happened today. And as they walk away, we get one of Andrew Lincoln's classic, everything you need to know, you can read from his face shots. Yeah. It's another, you know, brilliant Andrew Lincoln emotion is all in his eyes kind of thing. The man is incredible at not saying anything, but still expressing everything we need to know. Absolutely. He knows what he's doing. Spencer comes back as a zombie and uh, Rick walks over and stabs him in the head. And I feel like he had a little bit of a little tiny little bit of satisfaction from that. Hooray. He's a zombie. (laughs) I can kill him. I can kill him again. Commercial break. And when we come back, Rick is in that cell that Morgan built. You remember that cell? I do. And he's looking at the note that him and Aaron brought back. Michonne comes in and they hug and she delivers a monologue here about how they have to fight back. She says that she wanted to go with them for the supplies, but she had to do things her own way. She realized though, when she was out that whatever they do, they have to do it together, you know, in a similar, uh, similar to sort of what Gabe was saying to Rosita, you know, we got to do this together. And she says that they've survived so much that it's time to keep standing and make their lives mean something. And I thought Denai Guerrera did a fantastic job in this scene. Again, and you know, we get Rick's eyes a second ago. We come back and we get this. Two great, great scenes. And, and this might be Michonne's best scene of the series, I think, or Denai Guerrera's best scene. It was pretty good. It was pretty, really powerful. Very, very powerful. She did a great job. And even more powerful was that Rick agrees. He agrees with her and he says, you know, he knows that now that we can't live this way. We got to work together and we got to do something about this. Yes. So it's all coming together. Um, The scene fades to black and then fades back up again to Maggie at Glenn's grave. So we've kind of come full circle. You know, it's another day. She's visiting his grave. She climbs up on the same ladder up on the wall and she sees something which obviously affects her. She calls for Sasha and, uh, and Enid and then runs down and we open the gate to the hilltop and it's Rick, Michonne, Carl, Rosita, and Tara approaching. They all walk in and there's a huge reunion of the group. Uh, it was really, really well done. I thought I really enjoyed watching this. It was nice to see them all back together again. Rick comes up to Maggie, says she was right and that they're ready to fight now. Uh, Daryl and Jesus come out. They're already back, which is great. Everybody hugs. Rick and Daryl have one of the best man hugs I've ever seen on TV. (laughs) I thought it was amazing. I loved it. Um, they handled all of these reunions really well. I thought the next one, Rosita and Sasha, they have a little moment where they kind of look at each other and give each other an understanding nod. You know, they, they didn't have to get right in there together. Like nothing had ever happened. They just sort of you know, they, uh, respect each other enough that they give each other that nod. Um, I thought it was just a perfect reunion for everybody all around. And it was really nice to see. It was nice. Uh, Carl and Enid share a glance, you know, I mean, they're practically dating now. They kissed in the woods, remember? So I do, you know, they got a thing going on. Uh, and then to cap it all off, friggin' Daryl hands Rick his Python, which is the gun he got off of fat Joey and I didn't even realize it at the time until this moment, and I was blown uh, away. 
I agree with you. And I didn't realize it was Dead Python either until this moment. I'm like, Rick has his gun back. Uh, Carl's got his eye patch and his hat on. Daryl's got his motorbike. He needs to get his crossbow. He will. He'll get the crossbow. I do not doubt it. But it just felt like the team was together again, you know? And I think it hasn't felt like that in a long time. And it was a long time coming. And after watching this, I think I... I realized that I think that might be one of the things that was holding this season back a little bit. The, t- the group was too fragmented. They were too, too separated and it was getting to me. And I think it was getting to a lot of people. So it was nice to see them back, yeah. back together as one. Um, Get everything together, everybody together again. Now, having said all that, Jesus is the only one of the group who does look a little bit worried. Like he's probably the only one. I mean, he's, he's kind of the outsider, right? He's, he wasn't part of this group for that long. So I'm sure he's like, oh, great, everyone's back together again, but this probably means we're going to have to have a, a fight. And uh, he's probably thinking ahead to that. Yeah. So as a group, they walk up towards the hilltop mansion. There's this awesome sort of uplifting music playing, and the end. Episode is over. Um, and if you watch through to the end, we get a post-credits sort of teaser in this one which we haven't had, I think, since uh, Morgan was our post-credits teaser. Is that right? It's been a long time, and I think that you might be right. I didn't know there was a post-credit teaser until, like, as you know, I watched the episode as we're recapping it, in case I catch anything visual. Uh-huh. Uh, and I didn't know there was a post-credit scene until just now, and I just watched it for the first time. Interesting. So earlier on in the night when I said those boots show up again, you had no idea what I was talking about. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? I must have missed something. Did I look uh, away from the screen for a second? What happened? Well, So now it all makes sense. Credits roll, and then we come up, and uh, Gabriel is on night watch at the Alexandria Gate. Someone's watching him through binoculars, and we see the same boots as we did back at the lake in the darkness. So hmm. uh, who are the boots? We don't know. In fact, I have really no idea. And uh, we might not find out for a while. Like, I'd be surprised if uh, if that comes up again right away. I mean, that could be a season eight thing, you know, or a very end of season seven at the earliest. Like Morgan was, uh, we just... You just, just tease us every once in a while for a couple of seasons. Yeah. And we'll eventually get uh, uh, get the information we need. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I more or less, I mean, I know where the comic goes um, and I have some some ideas, but it, I mean, there there's probably something in the comic that's super obvious that explains this and people are going to write in and say, how could you not, you know, understand that? But uh, as of right now, you know, I'd have to go back and reread the comics to kind of remind myself if there's anything in there. But as of right now, I feel like I don't know anything about those boots. So I'm... Well, that's the best thing about having listeners that write in is because yeah. they can tell us stuff that we miss because we're just a couple of boobs talking on the internet. <laughs> yes. You keep saying that. If the more you say it, the more true <laughs> it becomes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So Jason, tell me before we move on what you thought of this mid-season finale episode. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it uh, it had some weird parts, but uh, overall, I thought it was uh, I thought it was really strong, and it was nice to finally get everybody back together and everybody on the same page of fuck this shit, we're fighting back. Yes, exactly. We've had a whole season of just do what they say, give them the stuff, you know, don't hold anything back. But uh, you know, now that 
you know, a couple of more people have died that are really of no real import to uh, to Rick and the gang. Uh, they want to fight back finally. Yeah, no, they do. I thought this episode was great, to be honest. I, I thought it was really good. Um, it was 90 minutes, so I think, uh, well, I don't know, of the eight episodes we've had so far, how many were extended? Like six? Three. No. Six. It was a lot of them. And by extended, it's like by five minutes to an extra 30 minutes. Like none of them, very few were like within the straight hour time slot. I don't watch them live, so I never really notice until after the fact. I knew that this one without commercials was exactly an hour long. Right. Well. So, so I know that that's longer than the standard 44 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'm not going to say that I think this episode could have been done uh, in less time. Maybe. It, I'm sure it could have been, but I didn't feel like it was too long like I did with a few of the other ones. Um, I didn't feel like there was any anything wasted in this episode, right? Like every minute was was meaningful of this one. You know, I, I can't really think of a bit that I didn't like. Um, we got less Negan in an episode that that involved a lot of Negan, and I think it worked a lot better, you know? It wasn't just him hamming it around the whole time. There was still a little bit of that, but I do also feel like they toned it down a bit in this episode, whether that's because it's actually toned down or because there was just less of it and it wasn't so in your face. Maybe that helps, uh, but I just felt like it worked a lot better. So I was happy about that. Good. And um, uh, what else? Um, yeah, it was good. I I still think the whole eight episodes that we've had in season seven so far could have used a significant reworking in terms of order and presentation. But this episode was not the problem with any of that. It was the previous uh, six, I guess, because the first episode was really good too. Um, But yeah, I was, I was really happy with this. The one thing I'll say though, is I feel like was way too easy for Daryl to escape. Yeah, he just decided that this is the time I'm going to escape and uh, ran into uh, the one guy that had Rick's python uh, and beat him to death with a pipe, and then he left. Well, I mean, he leaves his cell, which is fine. He got a note saying, go now, which whoever sent it, which we didn't find out, right? We don't know if that was Sherry or Dwight or who. I don't think it was was Jesus. No, I don't think it was Jesus anymore. Jesus, I don't think, was ever inside. Really? Because he met Daryl right where he said, uh, right where he wanted him to go. Like he gave him a key to a motorcycle and then waited for him to show up in the motorcycle pool. Uh, okay. That does make some sense, I guess. But I, I think if they wanted us to think it, it was Jesus, they should have made it a little bit more clear. But I don't know. You could be right. I mean, you're right. He was right there. So that seems a little coincidental. Um, but, but overall, I felt like it was too easy for Daryl to escape. He left his cell. He ran through the halls, never met anyone. He spent a little bit of time in Dwight's room. You know, Dwight never came in enough time to change clothes, eat peanut butter and and sit down for a little while. And then he just kind of made his way out to the motorcycle, killed a guy and that's it. And then he just magically appears back at the kingdom. Don't you think that like a motorcycle leaving the savior's compound would attract some attention. Well, you would think there was somebody, somebody would be on the wall watching. It's like, Hey, there's somebody leaving with a motorcycle. Oh, he has a key. It's fine. Or, or guarding the gate. Like the motorcycles have to leave somehow. Like you don't think there's somebody there like opening and closing the gate for them. It, it did seem a little, a little questionable that, that bit. That's, 
really the only thing that I thought didn't work quite right in this episode, that he just kind of was able to leave and we never saw any of it. Maybe they were guarding against people getting in, not against people that were leaving. Maybe the fact that he was wearing a shirt and a dumb hat and riding a motorcycle, maybe he just looked down and, you know, waved a little bit and they all went, okay, somebody wants to leave. Let him go. Dwight's clothing too, right? Maybe they thought it was Dwight. Right. (laughs) You know, it's a disguise. He had the hat on, so I don't know. I don't know. That's that's all the way, only way I can explain it to myself, but it did feel a little too easy. And, you know, maybe we could have reworked it a bit and got a little bit more Daryl escaping and a little bit less something else, but I don't know. I mean, I got to stop questioning things like that because they decide to tell the story the way they're going to tell it, and it is what it is. Yes. Um, you know what I think would be an interesting experiment, though, Jason, if you're up for it? Okay. Is to... Not right now, not right here, but sometime before uh, Thursday or maybe next week when we record next week is to each individually separately go through the eight episodes that we had so far and decide how you would reorganize them. And, and, and what I mean by that is like, well, I think they could have, for example, taken the, the Daryl, the naked Daryl episode from earlier on, combined that with the Tara episode into one episode, cut that down together and then played it as number four or something like that. And just, just sort of reorganize the first eight episodes into something that you think would have worked a little bit better. And I think it might be fun to see if we come up with a similar new sequence. Okay. Can that be my answer? Because this sounds like a lot of homework. Well, uh, not too much homework. I mean, it shouldn't take you more <laughs> than a I'll few think minutes. about it. That's no, it's, it's fine. I'll think about it. I'll uh, I'll have something for uh, when you ask next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I just think it would be an interesting experiment to see if, like, independently, we kind of think that the same improvements would have or changes would have improved the season. I don't know. Might be right. fun. Okay. Sure. Um. All right, but anyways, I think pretty solid episode to uh, hit our mid-season finale on. Um, Although, even though I feel like the whole reunion at the end kind of makes up for a lot of the shortcomings, I can't say it makes up for everything because it took us a lot of pain to get to this point, season seven. Well, I think that wasn't entirely the point, though, that we needed to have the pain in order for everybody to get on the same page that they need to fight back. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I, but I mean, it's still pain. Pain is pain, whether you need it or not. And uh, I yes. did not enjoy all the pain, so uh, not entirely, anyways. All right, we will uh, take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll read your holy crap moments. Stay with us. I know the dog day. Of the summer Have you tend to One outnumbered Seems like everybody up And left the man not coming back The shadow that you're standing on Still here sometimes That's all that you can ask Still beating. 
All right, it's time to take a quick moment to thank people who have gone to patreon.com slash the talking dead and supported us there by becoming patrons. This week, I want to send a big thank you to George, who went to that link and uh, joined us at the $3 per month level. Thank you so much, George, for doing that. If you want to join George and many other people who support us on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash the talking dead. Also, you can support us by using our Amazon link, and it is that time of year because uh, people are doing a lot of shopping at Amazon for the holidays. So before you buy stuff at Amazon, visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash Amazon and click on the country store of your choice. We've got stores in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and a bunch of other places in Europe. So uh, make sure you visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash Amazon and click on the store of your choice before you do your shopping. And then a tiny little cut comes back to us. It doesn't cost you an extra penny, and all of the money collected goes into the costs associated with doing the podcast and making it the best podcast we possibly can about The Walking Dead and not just the longest running. Because, Jason, it will always be the longest-running Walking Dead podcast on the internet, of which I am very proud. Damn straight. Thank you so much to everyone who helps out and supports us in either way, Patreon or Amazon. We really appreciate it. still beating holy crap did you see that holy crap did you see that it's time to play and read your holy crap did you see that moments first one here comes from blanche i think i've got that sorry if i'm getting the name all wrong but blanche in brooklyn Holy crap, did you see that? Daryl just walked on out of there. Easy peasy. Stops for a snack, changed his clothes, runs into a guy who's supposed to be keeping an eye on things, turns out to just be a sitting duck. Magically, Jesus appeared. Then magically, he's back at the hilltop. It was all too easy. Nobody wants Daryl to escape more than me. And I loved the hug but it seemed like they were cheating. That's all. Love the podcast. All right. Thank you very much. I, I, I wanted to play that because Jesus magically appeared, and I'm pretty sure that's usually the way Jesus appears, right? Oh, no, it's it's not magic. Oh, no? No, what is no, it? Be, no, because magic is uh, is the Satan is Satan's work. Oh. Jesus would not be uh, Satan, so it's not magic. It's uh, He just appears. It just happens because, you know, it's the will of Jesus. Okay, got it. All right, well, thank you, Blanche. Deanne in Mississippi also called in. Holy crap. Did you see the look that Rick gave Carl, the I'll deal with you later young man look after Rick ratted him out? Man, Andrew Lincoln can so totally act with his eyes. I think she means after Negan ratted him out because, yeah, Negan says, he hid in one of my trucks, killed a couple of my guys, and I brought him back home safe and sound. Rick turns around and looks at Carl and is like, what the hell did you 
do, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> You're in trouble now, mister. You really, really are. So it was You're a- grounded from using your gun for the rest of the week. No more assault rifles for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, next is Anwen in New Zealand, regular caller. Hey, guys, it's Anwen from New Zealand. Holy crap, did you see that? When Negan got shot at by Rosita, I was really interested to see his reaction. He wasn't scared at all. He was surprised and he was angry and he was intrigued. And I think this shows us a real new side to Negan's character that we haven't seen yet um, on the TV show where he's just not not caring whether he lives or dies. And I think that's what's making him so dangerous. The whole thing is a game to him. Um, So I was really fascinated to see that reaction. You know, it is true. Negan doesn't seem to be, well, mom, one moment he seems to be afraid to, to die or, or at least not want to die, like when Carl's in the truck and he's hiding behind one of his guys, right? And in the next moment, he comes this close, you know, to getting shot in the head, but the bat saves him. And like she said, he's he's intrigued and impressed in a way and not, uh, you know, afraid or in shock for his life. Well, it's, you know, it's a matter of beforehand versus after the fact, right? If he's worried about somebody shooting him, he's going to take precautions. But after the fact, there's nothing he can do about it. So he just kind of rolls with it and uh, becomes impressed with, uh, uh, you know, Lucille getting shot. Well, he was- Which I have a question about, but- He was pretty upset about Lucille getting shot, uh, but he was impressed with Rosita for taking the shot, which which is one thing, right? Which is totally different. It is. What's your question about Lucille? Well, why wouldn't the bat shatter from being shot? And would a bat stop a bullet? I um, question both of those things. It, it, well, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a wooden bat. So maybe it would ricochet the bullet or a chunk mm-hmm. would come out of it. I don't know. Bullets are really, you know, they have a lot of momentum. Yes, they if do. If you shoot a bullet in a house, it's going to go through two by fours in your wall, like a number of them. It's the two by fours are not going to stop, but you know, though that's pine, you know, construction grade pine where a baseball bat is made out of ash, which is a hardwood. So it's different, but I still think that a f- bullet fired from a handgun at about five feet, let's say 10 feet would probably either go through the bat or destroy the bat. Yeah, probably. But then again, it's wrapped in barbed wire, which makes all the difference in the world. Uh-huh. I guess. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it, it depends probably on the bullet, on, um, the way it, it hits the bat, you know, I don't know. I mean, he could have just gotten lucky and maybe she, she actually was off on her shot a little bit and it did hit the bat, but you're right. I don't know why it didn't totally shatter. Maybe, I don't know. If, don't know. if, if someone out there has a gun and a baseball bat, try shooting it and see what happens. It- and a safe place. And a safe uh, place. And a safe place, you know, access to a firing range where they'll let you do that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, be safe, people. D- don't just do it, you know, willy-nilly. Uh, yeah. Don't have someone hold the bat while you're doing it. Please, <laughs> please don't do that. In fact, yeah, I don't... don't try and swing and hit the bullet and knock it out of the park. Don't do that. <laughs> no. Don't do anything. In fact, I don't endorse this idea at all. <laughs> just, just be safe, you know. Let us know, but be safe. Yeah, okay. Uh, Kate in Sydney, Australia writes, Holy crap, did you see that? It was a suspenseful and exciting and emotional, but not manipulative episode of The Walking Dead. Good to have you back, mate. 
<laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Laura in Copenhagen writes, holy crap, did you see Judith's face in the scene where Negan is shaving in the bathroom? She was rolling her eyes like she was just totally done with him. Even Judy's had enough of his scene chewing. I can see some serious sass in her future. <laughs> All right. So I noticed that too. She was, uh, that, that kid did a great acting job in that scene. Yep. Sarah in Chicago, Illinois writes, holy crap, did you see that last five minutes? The embrace between Maggie and Rick, the look, which brought me to tears between Sasha and Rosita, the look Daryl gave Rick before they hugged it out, which, and made me ugly cry. <laughs> the moment Rick and got his Python back, which made me howl, hell yes, at the TV. Then that look in Rick's eyes before they all woke up, or before they all walked up the hill, it's about time, feeling really excited and pumped for the back half. Nice. And I am too. I am, you know, it's so funny how this show works. You know, it's like I can be so down on it for a while and then one awesome episode or even one awesome scene and I'm right back on board. Yeah. Does that make me bad? Should I be more, you know, should I be, should I be less fooled? Should I be more, if, if it's, if it's not good for six episodes, should one episode bring me right back, Jason? I don't think, see, I don't think we should deal in shoulds. And I just said should deal in shoulds. Yes, I realized that, but I don't like to deal in shoulds. Like okay. it's just, you know, it is what it is. You know, yeah. just be you, Chris. If you, uh, if you like something and then dislike it for a little while, then all of a sudden like it again, that's fine. It's all up to you. All right. Well, I feel the, sh I feel like the show, uh, sucked me right back in with this one. And it's funny how it can only take one episode to do that. It's really yeah, quite amazing. Don't get knocked up on how you should feel. Just feel. All right. I'll just feel. Christine in Northwest England writes, holy crap, did you see that emotional reunion between Maggie and Daryl? Yeah, me neither. Here we have the man <laughs> that tried to fight back and in the end got Glenn killed because of it. I never thought Maggie would blame him, but why skip over that reunion? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is. it does seem like something that, we'd want to see at the very least Daryl arriving back there and somehow apologizing to Maggie for jumping up and punching Negan. Um, but, uh, we didn't get it just like we didn't get, you know, Tara's, uh, the, the Tara being told about everything that had happened, you know, we kind of missed those emotional moments. Yeah. You got to gloss over some stuff in order to get to the meat of the story somewhere else, I guess. I guess so, I suppose. And and I don't I suppose it's not impossible that we will still get a Daryl care uh Daryl Maggie conversation about it. I mean I'd be surprised at this point, but you you never know. It might it may come up again. Yeah. Um James in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania writes, Holy crap, Gregory is possibly the most unlikable character since Carol's husband spent season one committing spousal abuse. How the <laughs> hell did he become a leader? Yeah. It's true. The guy has one scene in this episode and you said it yourself. His whole character is walking around the hilltop being a dick. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it really is. That's it. It's, it seems like there's nothing more to him than that. Maybe just nobody else wants to deal with uh, with Negan's crew. Like with the saviors. It's just like, well, sure, he's a dick and everything, but, you know, when he gets shit all over by uh, by the saviors, you know, better him than me. I, I guess, yeah. I mean, they need someone to, to do that, I suppose, but it just everything that comes out of his mouth just seems so uh, weaselly, you know? The guy's a giant weasel. 
He is a he's he's a he's a big dick. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Andrea in Grand Junction, Colorado, writes. I may be finally turning into a sociopath after seven seasons because watching Spencer's guts pour out made me so happy. <laughs> Definitely a holy crap moment. <laughs> if you were a sociopath, you wouldn't be happy about that. Well, okay. She was happy about it. <laughs> uh, so that doesn't make you a sociopath is what I'm saying. Okay, good. Makes you awesome. <laughs> yeah, totally awesome. <laughs> Sharnisha on the internet writes, holy crap, did you see that with a microscope? Was that the saviors we were looking at or a herd of walkers? So she's referring to the scene with Michonne in the car looking down, uh, looking down the road and uh, Isabel saying, that's Negan. But that wasn't, you know, Negan's big factory building. That was just a group of random vehicles and people on the road. And Sharnisha's right. Like it could have been just a bunch of zombies milling around, right? Well, we, we couldn't yeah. tell. And frankly, no. it reminded me, it kind of looked like a bridge, and I thought maybe we were looking at the bridge near Oceanside. But I don't think so. But I think it was just the entrance to where Negan's area is. So that was right? like so Maybe his... there's an outpost, uh, just, uh, you know, a, a, a staging ground or some kind of uh, place where uh, a bunch of Negan's people are and you go past that and you're going to get more and more ne of Negan's people and eventually get to the heart of the compound, which is where, uh, you know, Daryl's being held. Right. So he's got a, he's got expanding rings of, of uh, people guarding his central location. Yeah. Or doing various things. You know, I, I'm sure they're doing other stuff like, uh, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe they're filming television shows and that's what they're watching. I think uh, they're redirecting zombies. Remember, we heard about the redirect. Oh yeah, the redirects. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing other stuff. They got projects. All right, they got stuff to do. City works. That's right. Jack in festive, rainy England writes, holy crap, did you see the cries of 10,000 souls all weeping for those they have lost through the glassy beads that are Andrew Lincoln's eyes? <laughs> 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 yeah. I don't think I have ever seen so much despair in one person's face. Top-notch acting from The Rock in what has been a wishy-washy season. Nice. You can't say Andrew Lincoln can't act with his eyes. That would just be not correct. Yeah. Dilith from Sri Lanka says, Holy crap, did you see that? Fat Joseph's sandwich had lettuce leaves in it. I knew he was trying to lose weight. With each episode he was in, Joe looked leaner. Too bad Daryl took him out before people started calling him medium-sized Joe. That's true. <laughs> uh, Frank on the internet writes, holy crap, Fat Joe is now Splat Joe. I love it. There you go. Poor Joseph. Mark on the internet, holy crap, Daryl Dixon put his shirt on just like Murphy McManus in the Boondock Saints. I don't remember how Murphy puts a shirt on in that movie, but apparently Daryl does it the same way. Nice. Yeah, being, you know, the, the actor in that movie as well, it kind of makes sense. Maybe it's a, uh, yeah, maybe it's just a thing that, uh, that he does. It may be, I don't know. Sean on the internet writes, holy crap, zombie canoe jump scare. That was cheap and easy and very, very awesome. Yeah, the old zombie in the canoe trap. Uh, it was. I, I liked it a lot, but I like how Sean starts and you think he's going to go, that was cheap and easy and, and dumb, but finishes with very, very awesome because I thought it was okay. I didn't mind it. A little bit of a stealth zombie, but that's okay. If it's hiding in a canoe, that's that's different than sneaking up on you in the forest. That's true. Right? So there you go. Um, let's see. 
Jason in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Holy crap, guys. Did you see how bad Spencer and Negan are at pool? I mean, I couldn't call Negan out for scratching hell. Uh, sorry. I mean, I wouldn't call Negan out for scratching hell. I would let him shoot again. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, you just go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. But they, they both made a couple of shots, at least, that I saw. I didn't think they were that bad. I wasn't paying attention to the pool plane. I mean, maybe my... Um, sort of my uh, standard for being good at pool is very different than Jason in St. Cloud, Minnesota's because I'm not a great pool player myself. So uh, those guys made some shots. I figured they were doing okay. I'm randomly awesome. Right. It depends. It, it, you know, every once in a while I'll get behind a pool table and things will just click, 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 click. And I'll be friggin' awesome. Everybody looking at me like, wow, you really know how to play. And it's like, yeah, wait. And then we'll play another game and it'll be complete shite. <laughs> All right. So, uh, no hustling anyone for Jason. No. Uh, Mike on the internet writes, holy crap, the magic cue ball. Negan's last shot before gutting Spencer, he scratched. And after gutting Spencer, the first shot of that pool table, the damn cue ball was back on the table. Nice. So it, uh, I guess it just gets pulled out. Uh, David on the internet writes, holy crap moment. My holy crap moment is the fact that Rosita is cursed. Anyone she likes ends up dead which seems to be going, but she almost, you know, referred to that herself in this episode saying, I've got nobody. So if someone's going to die killing Negan, it might as well be me. Yep. Um, let's see Dave in Trumpton, UK. Holy crap. Did you see when Daryl is escaping? He enters Dwight's room, right? So this was Dwight's room. He realizes that he has to change clothes. So he grabs a t-shirt from the bed before trying it on. Daryl has a good sniff of the t-shirt, obviously ensuring that it doesn't smell too bad to wear. After all, no matter what Daryl has been been through or the conditions he has lived under, he should not be made to wear a t-shirt that smells funny. That would be disgusting. <laughs> Maybe he's just getting used to the smell. Like, you know, the decision was made, I'm going to put this shirt on. You know, I need to know what it smells like first. I need to make sure that it doesn't offend my personal sense of hygiene. And uh, if it did, I'd find a different shirt. Well, it's the same, it's the same reason that uh, dogs smell each other's buttholes. It's not because <laughs> they want to know if it stinks. It's because they want to get to know that other dog. So it <laughs> sniffs its butthole in order to become familiar with it. Uh, Daryl's doing the same thing. He's sniffing, uh, you know, sniffing the shirt, not because he wants to know if it smells. He just wants to get familiar with the smell so that when he puts it on, everything's okay. Right. I just like that you said butthole a few times. <laughs> <laughs> this is my whole theory as to why people don't think their own farts smell. It's because, you know, you are used to that smell that you produce, so it's fine. It's that very low-level base instinctual thing. So your close family members, sure, they fart and stuff, but when you smell it, it doesn't smell as bad as, say, you smell a fart on the subway. That's just awful because it's an unfamiliar person's fart. Oh. If you're really close with someone, their farts don't smell that bad. Yeah, tell that to my kids. But <laughs> but also, like, just the idea that you're breathing in a stranger's farticulate is is worse than a non-stranger, I find. Well, yes, that too. Well, that that's the whole that that's the whole thing. It's you know we can logically go, hey, that's really gross because you know there are particles that were up that person's butthole <laughs> that are now in my lungs, in my nostrils, and in my <laughs> lungs. Oh God! Oh. <laughs> See, the, the, you know we're a higher order being. That's fine. We can logically be totally grossed out about this, but on a very low base level, 
our own farts don't smell that bad and our close family and friends, their farts don't smell as bad as, say, the stranger on the subway. I mean, if you're going to breathe something into your own lungs, it might as well have come out of your own butthole. Exactly. All right. Or your family. Because, you know, <laughs> you're all living in the same germ pool anyway. Oh, totally. The biggest one there is. Yeah. Uh, Nathan on the internet writes, holy crap, did you see that insanely enticing jar of peanut butter? And then he, uh, he, he has a, a quick monologue for Daryl here. Daryl, got to be real quiet and sneaky and holy shit, is that peanut butter? <laughs> <laughs> yep. George in Byron Bay, Australia writes, holy crap, did you see that fucking amazing ending? No cliffhanger, no bullshit. The group reunited and hopefully look at the future. This is how you respect your fans, Scott Gimple. For the first time in a while, an ending has satisfied me. And it was, it was an extremely satisfying ending. I thought, I agree. That I do also agree. And I'm actually impressed that I didn't realize that there's no cliffhanger. This was just anticipation of what the next half of the season will be. Not a cliffhanger of, oh my God, what's going to happen? Well, the last holy crap we have here is from our friend of the show, Adam in Texas. And he writes, holy crap. Now that's exactly how to do a cliffhanger, even for the mid season. <laughs> Fuck Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't think I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's a cliff. It's a, not really a cliffhanger, but it's an anticipation thing. It's that they're together. They have an idea. They're going to do something. It's going to be awesome. What's going to happen? Yeah, I, I am on the same page as you. It's it, cliffhangers to me are like something is going to happen immediately in the next episode, right? It's like they cut a scene off in the middle and we need to know how that scene ends. We have to wait to find out how that scene ends. That's kind of the cliffhanger definition for me. This is not that at all. This is, this was a story that they told in eight episodes that took forever to tell and was all mixed up most of the way, but they nailed the ending and it was an ending. This is a very satisfying ending to an, uh, to a section of the TV show, almost like a story arc. Although right. there's a bigger story arc still ongoing, of course, but uh, it was a good, satisfying ending. And we are all anticipating the next steps that they're going to take. We can kind of see what they are in a broad sense, but we don't know all the details. And that's what's so exciting and, and uh, brings that anticipatory feeling to us all. Yeah, I agree. So good work. Good work. They did it. And that's going to do it for us, I think. So everyone can go away and hopefully we just delivered a satisfying ending and uh, they will, everyone will be anticipating what's going to happen on Thursday this week. Yeah. All right. So everyone go away. Like Chris says. <laughs> go away, live your life for a couple of days, then come back and uh, rejoin us as we, as we sit here talking on the internet as two boobs. Uh, you know, as two boobs would do. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we're going to come back and, you know, do listener feedback and that's going to be awesome. Yes, it's going to be awesome. So that will be happening on Thursday. That'll be number 300. So as we promised, we got to do that with our shirt off all oiled up. Um, we'll see about that. And then after that, uh, I guess we'll talk then about what's going to happen after that. Cause we got a couple plans for the, uh, next couple of weeks. Um, but we'll get into that later. And what the hell else do we do here at the end? Anything? Oh, yeah. We let people know how they can get in touch. So um, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead or at talking dead on Twitter. 
um, visit our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail to record a message and uh, send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to enter our Record Your Favorite Scene contest. Uh, There's great prizes for that, and we'll continue to play some of those on the episodes as we uh, record stuff over the hiatus. Um, And please, please, please use our Amazon link when you do your shopping at Amazon, talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon, and click on the country that is most relevant to you. So, Jason, anything else to say before we call it a night here? Uh, no, I mean, I'm looking forward to episode 300. It's going to be great. It is going to be great. Very exciting. Uh, don't forget, too, everyone, last week we, or last uh, time we podcast, we announced our um, our uh, listener chat show we're going to do at the beginning of January. So we will have more information on that coming up, um, when exactly it's going to be and how it's going to work. But uh, just mark that down in your calendars. First Saturday in January, late in the afternoon that day, probably. But we'll firm that all that up. Um, just figured I'd remind everyone again here because I didn't mention it off the top. But keep listening over the hiatus. We do, of course, have our feedback show. So we're not quite done with this first half of this season yet. Um, and then after that, uh, we hope you don't, uh, go away. All right. That's enough of that. Until next time. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.